Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Hey, wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Dinah Fisher. We are live on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. You can be one of our listeners who gets to have their say on air, 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio. We're also streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop up. Again, call us 847 866 9687. All right, tonight our creative consultant Oliver Camacho goes inside the huddle with Swiss born and trained rising star soprano Regula Mulemann to find out how to sing Mozart. And of course, you get all your opera headlines, our hot takes on them in the two minute drill. That's at 9.40. But first, imagine if you were asked to make up a team of opera all-stars. Name the best singer, living or dead, active or retired, in each of the four main voice types that you'd want to see on stage performing a role from the standard Italian repertoire. Who would be on your team? You got some ideas? I asked Oliver and Tobias for their opera all-star teams, and that's our Chalk Talk, and that is next. We've had a week off. We've got a full house. We've got a great show for you tonight. Oliver Camacho, are you there? I'm here. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing very good. Tobias Wright. I am here. My my back is cleanly shaven. Lovely. Hi. Getting ready for summer. <laughs> so smooth. Gross. And it's the lovely voice of Dinah it's Fisher. It's me. I'm back after back. so long. Are you now a master of music? or is that I not? By Saturday, but yeah, I'm a master of music. Okay. Yay! You, master, you mastered it. I mastered it, so I, <laughs> yeah. everything's fine. I'm a master of music, so I'm the smartest person in this group. And you did, did you do your senior recital? Your master <laughs> recital? <laughs> did you do My that? senior recital? Uh, yeah, I did. It was a few weeks ago. How come you didn't great. invite us? I did. Oh. I sent you all all uh, invites on. I was invited, Facebook. and I said I wasn't going to make it. I and invite, he so. did. T- he texted me at yeah. least, but I just did a Facebook invite. So okay, so I didn't get no a pro- so came. I didn't get a proper invitation like written. And <laughs> I don't have video. your okay. phone number. Okay, no, isn't that like crazy? By owl. Oh yeah, I just, no, I didn't <laughs> send. Owl. I didn't send my owl with my <laughs> with my note. Pigeon. <laughs> Not <laughs> your owl. This is Harry Potter. Okay, but it was great, and I sang Rosen Cavalier and Brahms and all kinds of fun stuff. You sang Rosen Cavalier in your recital. I did. We ended with the recitative and the trio in oh. the end of Rosenkev. That's, I mean, that's <laughs> great, I guess. I, I guess I'm, I'm nothing against you, but I, I'm always a little skeptical when people sing opera in their recitals. You know? Interesting. Yeah, but I guess you're getting an opera degree. So. It was yeah. more like I did Genius. the work and learned it, so I'm going to sing it for people. That's <laughs> <laughs> really what it was. I agree with that. That's good. Tobias, yeah. I got a question for you, mm-hmm. which is uh, you're the man who's been talking about LeBron James as the, the greatest oh, player pivot. of all time. My question is, uh, the goat. now that they're two games down in uh-huh. the NBA Finals, where is your goat now? Uh, well, if you'll recall, last year they were also down two games to none to the Golden State Warriors. In fact, they would go down three games to one only to come back and be the first team ever to win. So no time to panic. Also, George, don't try to throw shade at LeBron James. The dude has had two triple doubles. He's the first player ever to average. No, he's not the first player. He's one of like two guys ever to ever average two, a triple double through the first two games of the series. So uh, see you in game three, my man. Let's talk some opera. <laughs> Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. That's right, it's Opera Box Score, WNUR 89.3 FM. Full house tonight, George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Dinah Fisher, Da Dam. 
Hey, this is an idea from one of our listeners, Mark in Evanston, and it could be the beginning of a recurring segment on our show. We're going to kind of live beta test this. Mark had written to us, man, months ago it was, and he said, you know, I'm really into this idea that opera is like sports and sports is like opera, and and how would you put together an all-star team? Well, I really sort of thought about that idea. You know, how would you get the very best singers, and how would you put them together? Would it be in a certain... Uh, repertoire? Would it be for casting a certain show? Are we looking at a certain period of history? And so on our team, on Opera Box, where we've been trying to sort of uh, put together some of the criteria. And uh, Tobias and Oliver are, are going to go first on this tonight as we as we tinker with this We're idea. We're going to try to go first. Okay. we got some let's, music let's, clips as let's well. Let's be a little more honest about this. <laughs> <laughs> we had this uh, sort of like assignment or this task uh, set upon us by, what's his name, Mark? Mark at Evanston? What's <laughs> Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, but actually, thank you, Mark. Yeah, no, really. Yeah, no, thank you. Sincerely, thank you, Mark. Uh, and so, you know, you asked us this uh, to prepare for the show, and it, we decided just moments ago that the assignment is too big, and we need to focus it more. So the next time we attempt to do this, we want to have a little more specific parameters, like mm-hmm. let's choose an opera or let's choose a composer. With an all-star cast. Yeah. Right. Because just to choose one team that That's... would, you know, be an all-star player in all genres of opera. That's there's nobody Insane. who could do that. You know, no. not even you, well, Tobias. As, no, I mean you can you can you do it. <laughs> yeah, I am not skilled in. in well, not even me, and I'm a master of music. So, <laughs> um, I, I just think that it's such a broad. I mean, it, singing's been going on for hundreds of years. You know what I mean? And I think when you try to choose a specific all-star team, obviously we limit ourselves to who's been recorded. So we eliminate a few hundred years there, and we basically are dealing in the last century. But even still, there's so much repertoire. So we're, we gave it a shot tonight, and we'll see we'll see what we think about it. But I know that we're missing people, and people are being left off this list that shouldn't be. But what's well, basically like saying these are the four greatest singers of all time, and that's not that's not the no. case. That's impossible. Can't you know? do it exactly. Yeah. But we did narrow this one down, and we specifically looked at the standard Italian repertoire, and we looked at four voice types, the big, main four voice types, as well as kind of a utility voice, something that's a little more unusual. So, Tobias, if we, if we start at the very top of the treble class, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> who would who would your who would your soprano be, and why? Um, I actually chose Maria Callas, and so did Oliver. So we yeah. can kind of, dis- and I think probably for different reasons. But the reason that I love Callas isn't because she has the best voice, and it's not because she's the most beautiful, but it is because she sang with unparalleled conviction, and because of that, she was an astonishing performer. And in it, you can hear it in her voice, you can see it in her body, and that to me is all I have ever wanted to see from a singer. And we got some clips, of course. What do you want to listen to here? Uh, this is Visitarte from Tosca Puccini. the recording she sounds a little flat to me she totally is flat super flattest (laughs) so obviously it's not a perfect recording but there's a video there with that as well and if you watch the video it's in uh, you still i get goosebumps watching the video i did get goosebumps watching that video and it's i mean and that's why i chose it because it's an imperfect sound and yet the moment is not ruined by it at all and to be clear yes she's flat there Callis was not always a flat singer, though, I, in my opinion. But that's also late in her career. I mean, mm-hmm. she had like five or six like amazing, amazing years where she could do everything. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. she also really pushed her voice, and she had that yeah. big weight loss, and there was all sorts of things. But do you agree Drama. that she, she should be an opera all-star? Oh, my God. This is without question. She's probably the greatest singer of the 20th century. Yeah. But let's back it up. Do a you li- agree? Let's, no, no, no. Let's, let's, <laughs> no. Before, before you chime in, let's back it up just a little bit. George, you wanted us to pick singers who you felt would make a great like 
would be great on stage. That exactly. would make a great production. So exactly. we're not only talking about a beautiful voice and a voice you won't listen to on a recording. True. So let's just put that out there first. So as far as Maria Callas goes, I mean, like there are so many, you know, great uh, historians of opera who will tell you why Maria Callas is who she is and people who have documented her life and fans who are much more articulate than I am. But to kind of dovetail off of what Tobias had set up with what she represents, she is simply one of the most expressive singers. Mm -hmm. And she has that unique ability to, um, you know, find the thing in a piece that makes it authentic. And so when you hear it, you really feel like she's embodying that piece of music and that character. And she gave a series of master classes at Juilliard in like the 70s. And you really hear that she was so smart and she really worked so hard and mm -hmm. she studied and she knew minute details in the score. She mm -hmm. knew, you know... Um, it's funny, you mentioned the intellectual part of singing and I think, yeah, there are dumb singers and there's always the joke like tenors can't count, count past yeah. four. And while that may be true for some of us, <laughs> um, I think the really great singers are so much more than just great singers. They're intensely smart about their artistic choices and the true. knowledge that they have about each piece and, and not... I mean, and all the way down to composer stage directions, they understand what the piece is trying to say through the composer, and then they are the vehicle in which it has to be done. Okay, so um, a couple of years ago, maybe like 10 years ago, um, I did uh, an exercise on Opera Now where I played Lily Ponce singing the Mad Scene from Lucia right next to Maria Callas. And up until, up until a certain point in operatic history, People expected to go hear a bel canto opera and hear that type of singing, like where it was just color to a showcase and not a lot of attention to the text and not a lot of attention to the drama and not really doing anything with it but showing off. And if you just play those two recordings side by side and you hear what Maria Callas did, how she played with rhythm, how she played with language, how she bended pitch, how she changed tone quality in the middle of a word to give that word a different shade, uh, how she went off the voice sometimes, how she pushed her voice so hard that it went sharp, you know, sometimes, but and it created an ugly sound. Those were things that were choices that she made. It wasn't just because she could, she could sing a beautiful color to a piece. She did it earlier in her career. She could, she had that training, but that wasn't enough for her. She really wanted to explore these pieces and make them dramatic. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. George Cedarquist with Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Dinah Fisher picking our opera all-stars. We just talked about Maria Callas and Oliver, you and Tobias overlapped on another singer, which was Ettore Bastianini, and we have a duet that they are singing together. Tell us about it. So there's this really famous uh, event that happened at La Scala in 1955, which was... Uh, this amazing cast of La Traviata with Maria Callas, Giuseppe Di Stefano, and Ettore Bastianini, all at the height of their careers, at the height of their powers. And it's such a dramatic performance. And the recording has so many flaws. There's like, you know, crowd noises and there's like hisses from the tape. And like, it's just not a great recording. But the content of it, the interpretation is like breathtaking. It's like theater. And um, Ettore Bastianini, Italian baritone, who um, started as a bass? Yeah, who had a throat cancer, and Whoa. who um, know you that. know at the near the end of his career was getting all this like heckling by the critics and even by the audience because his voice was like falling apart and they were all complaining you know like oh he's lost he doesn't have any more but he was he was dealing with throat cancer. <laughs> it was really it's really interesting the last two almost three years of his career very inconsistent because he had mm -hmm. throat cancer and he never disclosed it to anybody mm -hmm. except wow. for like one family member and you think about. And the reason he didn't want to do it was because he was afraid of the negative impact it oh, would have course. on his career. And you think about today and what's going on with uh, Dmitry Borostovsky yeah. yeah. and how right. public his yeah. embraced him yeah. and, is, and is openly cheering for him to not only succeed with his singing, but also they've, I think the public has really become a part of his survival. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And really rooting for him. So anyway, it's kind of sad, though, to have Bastianini spend the last few years <laughs> really, really battling and struggling and getting the negative press and having his career ending at the Met in a, I think it was Don Carlos, maybe? Yeah, I, I don't remember, know the but, exact details, but... And he got poor reviews in the last performance he ever did. But the thing about Bastianini is that he was the epitome of the Italian baritone sound. I mean, the voice is just so beautiful 
so masculine, so warm. It's a warm timbre. And so expressive. Like, yeah. it's like sitting in an overstuffed, like, leather chair, like, with a cigar and a cognac. <laughs> that's a know, perfect so. way. No, that's a perfect yeah. way. You're making me hungry. So this is the um, act two, uh, part of the act two duet, um, the confrontation between Giorgio Germont and Violetta. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, so I want to give Dinah a chance to chime oh. in because we've kind of been talking over here. But before you do, okay. I just want to say like some things to observe about that performance. First, how um, Kala started just like on the thread of the voice, like just like the smallest amount of phonation, but so intense. Mm -hmm. But then as the orchestra climax near the end of this little clip we heard, she was able to add the thrust to her voice. So it's not like she only has one volume. We know she doesn't. And another thing that's remarkable about her singing was how limpid the tone was and how descending um, portamentos were just so clean. And she did a descending portamento into chest voice. And she, you heard her shift registers into a more kind of all chest. Mm -hmm. But the portamento that went down there really connected it. And sometimes you hear those shifts and they're so loud and they're so mm -hmm. they're so aggressive and you just it takes you out of the moment. But she just had like this thing like where she was like almost like a feather, you know, floating in the air and then being brought down by like by being wet or something like that. Just like there's so many images that you get listening to her sing and what she's doing with her voice and then pushing the tone a little bit ugly in some moments and maybe even a little bit sharp. You oh, know? That was beautiful. But yeah, but it was totally for to the service of the music. And Tobias, we got time for one oh, wait, 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 more wait, 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 wait. person I, I, on your okay. where, where, list. Can you hear me, George? Stars. Of course. Okay. <laughs> So I wanted Dinah to chance to talk because I heard you before we uh, switched over to talking about Ettore Bassanini. I was gonna see what Dinah's uh, why you have necessarily okay. disagreement okay. with about Kalas as a singer. Well, That's a good question. Well, now that I mean, so I'm a pretty young singer, and no one really talks about Maria Callas anymore in like standard music school stuff, mm -hmm. and. They're fools for not doing I, that. I so. mean, I agree. So I kind of, I've listened to her things, and honestly, her voice just grinds my ears the wrong way. Mm -hmm. um, but she's an amazing performer. And actually just sitting here and listening to you talk about it, I, like, want to go home and, like, re-listen to recordings of Do her. Do it. Yeah. It's just, like, <laughs> Please, it's a learning it's... experience. This is why we're here at uh, Opera Box yeah. Store to, look, like, look learn. Look for stuff before yeah. 1959. Okay. Like, Oliver the... gave you a good sell. No, yeah. it, no, it's, like, she's an amazing, I'm not, yeah. she's but an she, amazing she performer. She sang past her prime, and there are some really there's bad. There's some scary things. There's some really bad recordings out there where it sounds like she has, like, a mouthful of peanuts while she's singing. And I'm just, like, how just, did that happen? You should, you should watch your Tosca because it's, yeah. I mean, it's. You just watch it and you see it in her body, and I think that that's one of the coolest things. Uh, George, are okay, we we're, we're doing one more. We got, we got, I got time for one more. Take us, take us out with one more all star. Will you? Let's, in, let's do that. 
It's Enrico Caruso. I'm sorry. Okay. Mr. Ludwig <laughs> is fantastic, but it's Enrico Caruso. Fine, skip over the mezzo. Nothing new. Just go straight to the tenor, per usual. Okay, but here's why. Because with the invention of... Photograph. Of the phonograph. Yeah, I know. Enrico Caruso was famous on a level that we can't even fathom as singers today. And right. I do mean... Millions of people, millions of people knew who he was because of his records and because of his contribution to the recording industry. And so I think Caruso, and he also lived at a time where some of those great composers were still alive. And I think of his relationship with Puccini um, and then his relationship also with La Scala and then with the Met. And I think Caruso, without Caruso, opera doesn't live and thrive the way that it does before World War II. Okay, so that is very like, romantic. No, 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 you no. You want to talk about singing? No, 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 no yeah. Because I'm talk about reason, singing. The reason why that works as a setup is because of time and place, and he happens to be the tenor of that moment. Sure. You know? But he also was a fantastic singer. Okay, well, let's sure. hear something. Okay, so we're going to hear uh, the very end of Una Furtiva Lagrima. Um, and I mean, it'll, the singing speaks for itself. Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. This is a guided meditation on parenting. Take a deep breath in and let go of the time you and your son played basketball and you attempted to slam dunk. Or when you hit that pinata into your neighbor's yard. Let it go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Today in school, I learned a lot. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes me. In biology, I learned that I'm fat. I'm stupid. In English, I learned that I'm disgusting. And in gym, I learned that I'm pathetic and a joke. The only thing I didn't learn in school today is why no one ever helps. Kids witness bullying every day. They want to help, but they don't know how. Teach them how to stop bullying and be more than a bystander at stopbullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. Remember. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Dinah Fisher. That's the show, all right. Opera Box Score, WNUR, 89.3 FM. You guys drinking in the studio? Sorry, no, we're towards. just talking we about... We just got into actually, a really intense discussion. We're just talking about Caruso, and like I was just... When the mics were off! No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Talking about how... I've, I'm, I'm a big fan of Caruso, don't get me wrong, but how it's hard to sell Caruso to people who don't listen to old recordings and understand what they're, what they're listening to. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I was just trying to get Toby to think about that. And how that how he how he is. Toby, you need to think Toby, about you your no, no, no. Think Don't get me wrong. Caruso is amazing. I mean, I don't want to be like the Caruso yeah. naysayer, but I just want you to sell it more. It's because you basically just told us that he was this person at this time. But sure. What about his singing? Well, so it I mean, speak for itself. So. I think. Well, I think it does speak for itself if you listen to that clip, and that's why I chose that particular moment is because he did everything we talked about. Callis doing. He pushed his voice 
to the on the brink what did you say the brink of yeah, pushing it towards ugly or like yeah it was almost ugly. ugly he came all the way off of it and then you hear the power you also heard it move and then yeah. you heard how how pristine it was on the top and he gave you all of that in literally 30 measures and you feel the you feel the emotion now. Yes, I agree that the recording quality isn't what we're used to hearing, yeah. and, and it's that's not his fault. <laughs> no, it does sound like it's singing through a tin can with a yeah. wire string. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, but to me, you hear his artistry, and you can hear his ornaments and a lot of different stuff that we just don't hear singers do. No, today. you hear a great technique. Mm-hmm. You hear a powerful voice that has a lot of variety. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it's hard for me just to understand how his voice is beautiful. And maybe it's not because about, of the recording quality. Yeah, but also okay. like mm. it's also I don't particularly find his voice to be that interesting. I think his phrasing is interesting, but I don't think that the tone quality itself is compelling. You know, cool. But wow. that's a per, that's all personal opinion, like, right? You know, so. Exactly. Would yeah. there be as much debate over the soprano Oliver that you hung out with this very afternoon, and that was regular Muleman? You're <laughs> just switching gears. <laughs> okay. I'm shifting um, from yeah. third to fifth here. So um, <laughs> Regula Muleman uh, is in Chicago to make her uh, CSO debut. Uh, she'll be doing a concert of Mozart arias uh, with the Hofner Symphony and a piano concerto mixed in. And uh, yeah, she's a Swiss soprano and um, I got to meet her today and she's beautiful, beautiful. She's like a model. And you can go to her website. Uh, her name is a little bit tricky to spell. It's R E G U L A, and then Muleman M umlauted U H L E M A N N dot com or something Which like that. Go check her. M U E. Go look at some pictures of her. Sure, while, she's super cute. While while we're listening to this interview, uh, we talked about Mozart. We talked about some singers. I didn't keep it in the uh, in the edited version, but we talked about Gundula Janovitz because her tone quality reminds me of Gundula Janovitz, and Generally, she sounds like one of these throwback sopranos that has like one of these very silvery, you know, bright tones that's perfect for singing Mozart. And uh, I asked her how to say her name at the very beginning of this. <laughs> like, what is this? Let's, <laughs> let's hear what she had to say. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Okay. That's very Swiss, and okay. actually, the name Regula exists only in the German part of Switzerland, so okay. it's a tiny part of the world where okay. they know this name. So you're here in Chicago uh, to make your debut with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra uh, in an all Mozart program. They're doing like a symphony, or no, they're doing a piano concerto, mm-hmm. and then you're singing Esultate uh, Jubilate, um, the crazy high concert aria Vorrei Spiegarvi, which you've recorded actually. Mm-hmm. And um, the Laudamus Te from the C minor mass. Am I missing something in the no, program? No, okay. I think there is a uh, Hafner symphony. Yeah, Hafner symphony. Okay. But uh, you mentioned all my sing- all yeah. my arias. <laughs> so you've also recorded uh, Esultate Jubilate, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So your CD is Mozart arias. Yeah. And you also were part of Yannick Nazesegan's uh, complete recording of Le Notte di Figaro. Yeah. With Christiana Karg and Luca Pizzeroni. Um, so. Already early in your career, you're being identified with Mozart. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about what it is like to sing Mozart on such a high level? Um, for me, it's I love Mozart. Mm-hmm. I just think, especially in his operas, you can really feel what he what what he meant, and there's so much meaning in it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes two different meanings in yeah. one sentence. There's a, um, so much double meaning. And it's so interesting to sing these things because it's it's full of ideas. So you can, if I sing an aria, sometimes I, I feel it that way. And if I sing it again one year later, it's it's totally different. So and you discover a lot of psychology in the music that absolutely, gives you a chance to absolutely. interpret. Yeah, And that's so interesting. It's, it's never boring because... Uh, yeah, there are some difficulties, and mm-hmm. I think um, Mozart was always, when I studied, it was always clear where my problems are when I sang Mozart, because it's so obvious. Yeah. It sounds so easy, yeah. but if it's not easy for you, everybody can hear it. Yeah. And if you manage the technical difficulties, um, it sounds really relaxed and easy. I know, it's like the art of simplicity. You yeah. Know? And, and that's yeah. that's that he, he's just a genius. Yeah. I think music should always be kind of a simple to mm-hmm. listen, clear, natural, 
And if it's like that, you can really enjoy the music. You're speaking my language because <laughs> the people who listen to me over the past few years understand that I have a very small brain. <laughs> and I love music that's very direct and yeah. where the affectation, where the you know rhetoric is very clear. You know, yeah. that's why I love Baroque music. I love Mozart, mm-hmm. and I have to very slowly understand uh, other works like you know like Mahler or like Strauss who I love you know mm-hmm. but it takes me a long time to like pull it apart and say what is happening here what am I listening to yeah you know? whereas with Mozart it's obvious mm-hmm. from the beginning well, even mm-hmm. when I was 15 years old I'm like yeah. I get this you know I don't know yeah. understand what the opera is about but I love this music you know? yeah and it's re- it's really clever it's mm-hmm. in one way it's it's simple but in another it's it it has so much inside musically yeah. uh, from the meaning technically there's there's all there and that's what makes it so interesting for me and especially when i work in um, on opera roles when i go mm-hmm. to italy mm-hmm. they tell me much more about the meanings yeah. which i as a, as a swiss german person mm-hmm. i don't really get the the deeper meaning of that italian language but yeah. mozart got it he he had had the feeling for the language and he could really use it and when you know all these things which are also there in the music and Mm -hmm. you somebody tells you a bit about it you discover more and more every time you do it well maybe you're a natural at this but can you maybe give some rules that you apply yourself when singing mozart like how to phrase things or how to you know technically execute some of this with difficult music I think, uh, for example, for Exultate Jubilate and mm-hmm. Laudamus Te, it's a bit more difficult because you don't really have a text with yeah. uh, a lot of meaning. Yes. But if I do concert arias or yeah. opera, I always have an image in my head. I, I see the the person who I'm portraying, yeah. talking about or yeah. who I am in this yeah. situation. And I try to figure out all about her character why she's saying this, In which are the conflicts, and what's her pers- personality. And mm-hmm. then you get so much information about how to phrase things. You get really a lot of technical information if you dive into the character. And that's, for me, it, that's why I love Mozart, because it's always a playful manner of starving this, this new piece or new aria I have in front of me because I have all these images Mm -hmm. and then I try to to fill the music with these emotions Hmm. and then of course you discover there a difficulty technically I don't know coloratura or a high note or a big jump or and then you have to work on that really technically Mm -hmm. which is uh, not always a funny work but it has to be done yeah (laughs) and in the end it should you should forget about the hard work you did and it should be easy again and the meaning should be the first thing you think about when you're on stage so then when you're doing um something like laudamuste or Azutate, which is very technical lots of fireworks and acrobatics you know how do you begin to learn pieces like that yeah i think uh in this for example exotat jubilate has the the difficulty is that the first part is really quick and a lot of coloratura stuff yeah. and to virginum corona the second aria is really legato long phrasing yeah, yeah it's, it's a totally different way of singing and do you feel actually. that and how you sang the first part if you can't disengage from that that it's difficult to sing the second part beautifully i always realize that some singers can do the first part very well yeah. or the second yeah. i mean in the end alleluia is coloratura yeah. aria again but whether you do this better or the other yeah and it's really hard to bring both styles together. styles together yeah. but that's the great challenge i think yeah. that's that's amazing that it's so close to each other that's why it, it the effect is even bigger and um, consider it really as two different things. And when we talk about technical stuff, I mean, the, the legato lines were always quite easy for me. That was an, a natural gift, as you can say. Mm-hmm. But the coloratura was so hard for me to learn. Hmm, I can't I really... believe that. Because <laughs> <laughs> you sing so much coloratura. Like, now you... it, it has become easy, okay. fortunately. Really, when I... When I now have this Alleluia or Mm -hmm. the first part, I try to see the whole aria as one thing and then I discover where it doesn't work. And 
I, I do bar by bar. I really try to find, as you said, uh, you see Patterns. that there's yeah, yeah. pattern. There's yeah. a repetition or um, the first note of four is yeah. always uh, half half note from half the step, other, yeah, the from the yeah. another yeah. Um, block kind of uh, repeating. And you, yeah. you discover these patterns yeah. and then it's becoming easier because the brain has to be so quickly in this yeah. situation. And then the more once you your brain do it, knows it then, then you're it, it's forced. easy in the yeah. end but this work is quite it's it just needs hundreds of repetitions and yeah. then you get it <laughs> yes and do you like to articulate with the glottis or do you do more of an articulation with on the vibrato it's really hard to say mm-hmm. i because your your articulation is very fast like you know I, yeah. you, you can really achieve really interesting speeds with this coloratura so i'm thinking a legato line actually okay. i don't really think about every note for okay. me it's it's on one breath okay and i don't really know <laughs> what i do with the i know that my my coloratura is different from other yeah. singers and i don't i can re- cannot really explain uh, what I'm doing. The funny thing is, when I was once, uh, one month ago, I was in a MRT, MRI, MRI, MRI. You yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was in in a machine, and okay. and I there's and actually nothing. I, I sang coloratura okay. in that okay. thing, okay. and you cannot see a lot of moving. Movement. Okay. And also, the tongue is uh, Still. not moving. Yeah. So that was really interesting for me because I feel a lot of things, but yeah. sometimes you don't really know what your body is doing okay. at this point i think the mozart coloraturas are very very difficult i started with bach coloraturas mm-hmm. yeah that helped me somehow to go into that kind of singing and then because there i think you do more one note after the other it's there i think notes yes and with mozart the patterns are harder in bach too yeah, yeah. but there, there i really think about every note and I think I sing Bach coloraturas differently to Mozart coloraturas. And then I discovered that with Mozart, I cannot do that note by note because it's just not quick enough. Yeah. And then I started to do that legato thing. And somehow it works. It's really, (laughs) I I would love to tell you. It it was hard work, but suddenly I found out how, I I realized first I I started with a lot of H in between Mm -hmm. the notes. Yeah, the gladys. And I didn't like it okay. because I thought, I think it's too hysterical in a way. Okay. And I tried to make it more legato and somehow I reached that point where it's on one line and yeah. still every note is hearable as yeah. a different note to, yeah, to instrumental from the sounding, other yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. So you said that long phrases came naturally to you, mm-hmm. color to you had to work. Are there any other parts of your technique that came easy and other things that came with time yeah I think it's really interesting to see um, how your voice develops sometimes you think there's nothing happening because mm-hmm. the steps are tiny and yes. you, it needs a lot of time and patience and sometimes you look back and see wow I didn't I couldn't do that two years ago and now it's coming mm-hmm. and of course in the, when you study you have a lot of these moments where you think wow I can do that now and now they, the, the steps are smaller of course mm-hmm. but I realized that my range got a bit bigger mm-hmm. I always I had never fear of the high I notes yeah. I was more scared about the low register and now um both is coming easier. The high notes. I think Boris Pigarvi has a high D and a, or E flat. E. Yeah, or, yeah. No, it's an E. It's E natural. Yeah, yeah oh, E natural. And then a low. And that's line. not so scary, but the yeah. low note is yeah. really scary. Yeah, low and high. Exactly. <laughs> I love and that aria so much. Yeah, oh it's, it's so much emotion. Yeah. I think it's just. It's all in there. Yeah. It's an eight-minute piece, yeah. and you have all in there. And it's that really oboe amazing. solo. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's so beautiful. I yeah, can't wait. Like-
maybe this is one of the things you're not you're too humble about, but you learn music fast. Mm-hmm. You can you read very well and it's not hard for you to put your voice into a piece. It's not really the reading. I think it's more the I, I often listen to recordings. Mm-hmm. Teachers or people say you shouldn't do that, but I always did it. Yeah. I always listened to other singers mm-hmm. and I still do it. And I listen to many recordings, not just yeah. one. Right, I, right. Yeah. And um I also play it on the piano. I can play a bit. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not good in so good in reading, but I'm really good in when I listen to something. After a few times, I can I can Get sing it. it. Okay. Yeah. And it always helps me to to have an impression about the the piece. If I if I study a, an opera role. I have to listen to the whole thing. Yeah. Or I have to go to the theater to, yeah. to get the impression of what it is about. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that you listened. Are there any favorite singers that you always go back to? It's like, oh, I love this singer and I want to hear how she does it. Are there some singers that you listen to that you really admire their tone or their I really, style? when you're uh, talking about Janowitz, it's, it's a great thing because I think technically she's just so amazing. Mm. And I think it's always... Focused every mm-hmm. kind of um, style she s- sings, mm-hmm. the heavy stuff or the yeah. light, it's always focused. It's always one thing that is in common. This little line going through the whole singing, and yeah. that I think that's the healthy thing. And yeah. I'm really looking for that, and I always try my best to to reach that point. And I hear that in 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 a few singers. I, I really admire Kiri Tekanava, for Ugh, example. Yes, of course. She's really one of my goddesses. The best thing to learn from her is to listen to her. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing, I think. Yeah, it's such a healthy and, yeah, production. You know. mm-hmm. And uh, f- especially for the lyric stuff, I mm-hmm. listen to her. Or I listen to Netrebko. Okay. And for the coloratura, I think um, Gruberova is okay. the best. And um, when I sing lead mm-hmm. songs, German mm-hmm. lead, uh, Schubert, Schumann, all that stuff, I think Barbara Bonny is oh, fantastic. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, for every discipline, I have my idol. Good, good. And I'm it's, glad. Uh, it's, I think it's healthy not to have just one idol. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Because there are so many inspiring voices that can really... Yeah, so bring you, you forward. Actually, I learned my my exultate coloratura from Barbara Bonney's yeah. recording. <laughs> when I look at your website, at least you have a lot of concert work. On yeah, there, you know, I actually had two years. I it, it, the reason why I really love concert is also because it's it's so easy. You go, you r- work at home. Yeah, you go there. Yeah, wherever you go, yeah. sing. Uh, do two days or three days of rehearsals mm-hmm. and then you do a concert and go back home. Yeah. And opera is just a totally different life. You yeah. go to Napoli or you go to to a city for two months or even yeah. more and it's you're living your life in other countries, not yeah. at home. Yeah. And for me that was just too tough. I the first three years of my career were just opera. I, I was 11 months of the year I was in other cities mm-hmm. than mine. And that was too hard. And then I realized, okay, I want I want more balance between opera and concert, also because of that. I love concert, I love opera, but I, I need both lifestyles. Yeah. Kind of. And then um, I wanted to do more uh, concert work, and then it was just concert work. Yeah. <laughs> but now, next year, I have three long, longer opera productions. Okay. Uh, one in London, one in Na- Naples, and one in Geneva. Uh, and I, in between, I do concerts, and I think that's just the perfect plan for living. Um, so, are there any roles that you are on your wish list for the next couple of years? Yeah, I think. At the moment, Mozart is just really healthy for my voice. Mm-hmm. I feel so comfortable singing Mozart, and there's a lot of stuff to do for me. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm singing a Susanna now in oh, Geneva. Graduated from Barbarina. Yeah, and then, unfortunately. And then in a couple of years, you'll do the Contessa. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and then Marcellina. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, and then I do uh, Blanchen in Naples and in spring. Do you have to wear a wig when you do Blanchen? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. We'll see how modern the interpretation will be. 
And then I do Rosina in La Finta Semplice, okay. which is a great role also for me. I've never seen it. I've listened to it, but I've never seen it. So it's, it's really nice. Yeah. I'm still discovering it, but yeah. it's, um, I think it's a great role for me. And then, of course, I'm, I, I love other composers as well. Yeah. I, I don't really like to, if people consider me just as a Mozart singer, because I'm yeah. doing a lot of other stuff. My next uh, Sony CD, for example, will be uh, Cleopatra. Um, CD uh, all baroque baroque okay. arias, but different composers, yeah. not just Handel's so like Hasse, Giulio Cesare. Like, yeah, and, yeah. yeah okay. but Hasse, Graun, exactly yeah. all that things. And um, I just want to show people that yeah. I can do different things. Yeah, and um, I think also the the early romantic repertory can be something for me, but I'm I'm still discovering, and I take this step slowly because. I feel so comfortable now in the repertory I'm singing and I know that it will be more I, I think it could, could be more lyric one day mm. or maybe soon but I have so many great things to do now and I enjoy that and of course all that others follows if I take care Well, Regula, thank you so much for taking the time I know that you just got here to Chicago and I really feel privileged that I got a chance to speak to you Thanks for having me <laughs> Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. I wake up at 5 to give dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 to give dad his medicine. At 6, I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 to give dad his medicine. At 6, I make his breakfast. At 7, I shower. Every day I wake up For at those five. caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community to help us better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. OBS with Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Dinah Fisher. That was... So many takeaways. I mean, I know we have to move on to the next segment, but like about how to sing Mozart, about how to have a balanced life singing concerts versus opera, about having your own heroes, one for each genre of music. Like she said so many great text. things. Like, mm-hmm. I, and yeah, and like when starting a Mozart role, start with a text, you mm-hmm. know? Right. You think it's hard singing? Yeah. First find out what the character is, yep. you know? Yeah. Beautiful I mean, voice too. She is 31 years old. When she got out of uh, grad school, that was 2012. Literally the first job she had out of grad school was her debut at the Salzburg uh, Easter, uh, sorry, Whitson Festival. Yeah. It would be easy to say that she has a career because she's a gorgeous woman, but clearly she's way more than that. No. She's an intelligent mm-hmm. singer I mean, with technique and with uh, talent and with musicianship. So, Great stuff. Uh, hey, let's do a quick uh, two-minute drill, and then we'll, we'll wrap this show up. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from Opera Land in the past week, delivered in two minutes tops. Eugene Opera has completed a campaign to restore its financial health and will reopen for the 2017-2018 season, the opera announced last week. The company had to cancel the last two shows of its 2016-2017 season in January because of poor ticket sales and a budget gap of $200,000. New York City Opera has a composer in residence. It's Tobias Picker, who is also the artistic director of Tulsa Opera. Premieres from him include Emmeline, An American Tragedy, and Dolores Claiborne. Also from NICO, after breaking even in its first full season since emerging from bankruptcy, New York City Opera said last week it will stick with a reduced schedule of four main stage productions in 2017-2018 and does not envision getting much larger. Following their successful collaboration on the film The Beatles Eight Days a Week, director Ron Howard will partner with his team for a feature documentary on Luciano Pavarotti. The picture will be bolstered with full access to the singer's family archives, interviews, and live music footage. Staatskapelle Dresden conductor Christian Tielemann, the uh, conductor, has appeared in an ad for the new electric car made by Volkswagen. Exit stage right for African-American soprano Barbara Conrad, known throughout her career for breaking the glass ceiling for singers of color. In 1965, she appeared as Bess in the New York City Opera production of Porgy and Bess. And her final performance at the Met was Amneris in Verdi's Aida in 1989. 
Also, Sir Geoffrey Tate, the eminent British conductor, has died at 74. He was the principal conductor at Covent Garden, the Rotterdam Philharmonic, and the San Carlo Teatro in Naples. On this day, Igor Stravinsky was born in 1882. Karl Mariah von Weber died in 1826. And in 1990, it was the premiere of Oliver Nissen's opera adaptation of Maurice Sendak's children's book, Higgledy Piggledy Pop. That's the two-minute drill. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Dinah Fisher. George Cedarquist. George Cedarquist? <laughs> Hello, I'm here. Do you ever listen to like uh, sports radio? Hello, <laughs> uh, we host a radio show. Um, I think you'd be great at reading the traffic um, because... Sometimes, like, you know those traffic reports have to fit into, like, 50 seconds or less, yeah. you know? And they have to get so much information, and you have to really sit there and concentrate on what they're saying and, and wait for your little chunk and hear, okay, Lakeshore Drive, slow. Got it. You know. I, yeah, got it. Got it. Yeah. Done. 94, uh, slow. Kennedy, slow. Well, you're, you're, right. Slow. You're never going anywhere. You will die here in this car. Thanks. Yeah. Goodbye. But yeah, right, like sorry. take a breath, man. Take a breath. <laughs> I, I practice. I do practice, and I, I trim it down so it fits exactly in two minutes. That's okay. that's, the, that's wow. the goal. Yeah, I take it seriously. I, yeah. I like those I, people I on Sports Talk. Oh my goodness, Worm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start here. I just wanted to to get to this quote from the New York City Opera General Director Michael Capasso, and uh, he's talking about keeping the season at NICO with these four main stage productions. And he said, quote, the company sadly but realistically is never going to be doing 120 performances of a dozen titles. Those days I think are really over. I think they may be over for the industry, but they're certainly over for City Opera. Are those days over for the industry? That's a serious uh, well, statement. Well, who, who's the only company that has even come close to that? And it's the Met. And right. we know how... Or I, we know how dysfunctional they are, and that they—they're they, not even filling the houses. They're, that they're not. No, they're no, putting no, tarps exactly. over the yeah. seats. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously talking about opera in America. You know, yeah, Wiener Staatsoper—they can crank out 120 performances, a dozen titles. Yeah, I don't think New York City Opera is ever going to do that, though. It no. did kind of sound defeatist. The quote did, and I think if we heard him say it, I think there's a lot more optimism. Uh, one reason being because New York City Opera still exists or Yay. exists again. You know what I mean? <laughs> Small victories. Well, absolutely. No, you know? it counts. I, I don't see I don't see the optimism in that. I see a lot of pragmatism. I, I think the guy's trying to be honest and I think he's trying to he's trying to make sure that people don't expect New York City opera to be what it was. To be what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think frankly people want that. I want that personally. I was rooting for that <laughs> too. I want to be able to go to a city and be able to experience something high culture no matter what day of the week it is and what time of the yeah. year it is. Well, go know? out of your back door, dude, because you can do it right here in Chicago. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you can get pretty close. Uh, yeah. Every day of the week. Pretty close. Every, not every day of the week. Every day of the um, week. But let's, I want to just say really quickly about their season coming up. They're doing a double bill of Donizetti's uh, Pigmalione and Rameau's uh, Le Pigmalion, the same plot. Uh, but I believe both of them are very small casts. Uh, so I and but they don't give any cast information about That's that odd. show about a bunch of shows. Well, and of course, uh, what are the odds? Chicago Opera Theater is also doing Dang, that. Pigmalion, Donizetti, I know. Pigmalion. But the oh, question funny. is, um, like, are these, you know, operas not important enough, or are they really trying to sell the opera and not the cast? Like, who are the performers that are doing this? I think that we're a part of this. You know, perhaps they're not contracted. I know, but still, I mean. it's like, <laughs> um, and the other thing is like Rameau is a style of music that it takes very specific people to pull that off. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I want to know about the production team before I commit to, I mean, obviously I'm not subscribing to Nyko, but <laughs> if I was a subscriber, if they're trying to get subscribers, like yeah. I want to know, you know? Sure. Yeah, for sure. They're also doing Brokeback Mountain mm, as well. That. Jennifer Higdon, is that right? what I think it is? Yeah. Like it's the exact, I don't, I don't know any of these Oh yeah, spit in your hand and just. Yummy. Yeah. No, it? no, it is. That's an opera from oh, I think it's two thousand eight. It's based on the Annie Poole got it book, and that was made into a film and and the opera as well. Uh, did you did you listen to S Town the podcast? Yes. Okay. 
Astown? Astown. Yeah, Astown, that's one of Oliver's podcasts. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a different spoil the podcast. That's a rated X podcast. Uh, I'm surprised. Tobias Picker, who's the artistic director at Tulsa Opera, also the composer in residence at New York City Opera. Now, that's a unique position. I'm trying to think of other companies in America that have composers in residence. LA Opera, I suppose, does through Matthew O'Coin. Uh, is there another company out there that comes to the top of your head with a composer in residence? Oh, I know you're going to ask us this question. I probably could have like l- researched. I have it, no but... idea. I wouldn't say a composer in residence, but I think. Uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on it. Castiglione. What's Mark Adamo's husband's name? He wrote Ghost of Versailles. John Corleano. Corleano. Uh, there's a, uh, a pretty close relationship with San Francisco there, but I wouldn't say that's a composer. And there are orchestras that have composers in residence. So I mean, that's I, very true. Yes. Maybe it's more of an orchestral thing. But good for him, Tobias. <laughs> hey, anybody, in Tobi- <laughs> anybody <laughs> named Tobias in the opera world? We are rooting for success. What are the pl- what's the plural of Tobias? Tobias is? Tobias. What about uh, this? You guys probably didn't take a look at the ad, the Christian Tielemann ad for the new electric car that's been made by Volkswagen. It's in, it's in German. Uh, it's a good way to practice your German. It's totally bizarre. I, can, I cannot. I need to see it, George. Post it on our website. I, I will put it on the website uh, next to the picture of Cecilia Bartoli wearing a beard. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I was say, oh, she looked amazing. She's a good dude. Yeah. I like, sent that I, to my best friends and I was like, this is what I do for a living. They're like, is that a man or a woman? I'm like, <laughs> great question. Great question. <laughs> I love so it. I'll, I'll, I'll put this link she up next hot. to that. But it's bizarre to me that if you're trying to sell a car, that you would pick. And look, let's be honest, he's a very well-known conductor of a very well-known orchestra. He's done lots of opera work as well. Um, I'm just surprised. I mean, he's not super attractive. Most of us aren't. But, like, you're trying to sell a car. (laughs) Hey, now. I said most, Dinah. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) You're the good-looking one on this crew. (laughs) That's true. Hey, now. Well, Toby's got a fresh back. Aw, yeah. (laughs) Let's wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call on Opera Box School. Oh man, this was just packed. Sorry to the if you're a caller trying to call into the show today. Sorry we couldn't take I your call. Appreciate it. Yeah, busy. yeah. These were the worst. Phone lines are lighting up now. Just <laughs> <laughs> <First> a chance. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. People sir. are mad that I ruined like that for them. Either really mad or really, <laughs> really, really hot. Well, today. hey, you could always tweet us at Opera Box Score. You can also email us, operaboxcourt at gmail.com. Time for good call, bad call. Uh, well, Dinah, you've been away for a I while. We'll away. let you go first. Well, I'm graduating on Saturday, so that's my big my big good call. Yay. And um, I'm also going to Ames this summer in Austria, so I'll be singing in Austria and Graz for almost two months. You've got to file a field report for us. Yeah, yeah. I'll like, can I call in? Yeah, no, we won't, like the, we won't answer the phone. Obviously, <laughs> <Clearly. laughs> you can interview me while I'm there. Um, so I'll be singing for some really awesome ladies like Deborah Voigt and Barbara Bonney. Shut up, Barbara Bonney. Yeah, and uh, do you have rep already assigned to you? Um, we re audition while we're there, but they're doing Carmen and cool. Lenota de Figaro, which I'm excited about, and then a bunch of really cool oratorio stuff. And we get language classes, and I'm totally stoked to hang out. And That's great. Sing what about you, Tobias? You got a good call for us? I have a good call, and it pertains to everything oh, you were just talking about. Uh, this is actually to all of the graduates, undergraduates, people Aww. graduating with their master's Aww. degrees in music. For f- a few, success will be immediate, and it'll be on a grand scale. For the many, though, uh, your life as a singer is going to take on many different forms, and I just urge you to invest your time into your craft and trust your practice, trust your voice and know that every minute that you spend does make you better, even incrementally. Um, and it's not going to be what you think it is, but it can be a life that is beautiful. And I, I think about being in Chicago and the music community that's here and I've fallen in love with it and I'm happy to be here three years after graduation. That is the most positive Aww. thing I think you've ever I said. I'm going to sneak one in, uh, George. <laughs> I just want to say that the marketing campaign for Boston Early Music Festival is on yeah. point. Okay. If you are on their email list, you are getting regular emails with little video clips of the production of the opera. And it's got a great cast. It has Erica Schuler, who was one of our guests of course. a couple years ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Very Boston Early Music nice. Festival. Very, very nice. That's very cool. Um, hey, the bad call is that Nick Park, creator of Wallace and Gromit, died. I gave him that one. I know. The I, saddest. I, go I, go watch all of his crushed by that. films. 
Hey, that's it for this week's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our theme song, Vodka Inferno, is written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook and Twitter, search for Opera Box Score. Hey, if you liked our Facebook page yet, do it. And then share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Help promote the show by leaving a review. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For my co-hosts, Tobias Wright and Dinah Fisher, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera, even if you've graduated. We're back on Monday, June 12th with more opera all-stars, more fun and games, more hot takes. Argo Radio is up next with DJ Steve. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago, Chicago sound experiments.